Before we start, we want to take a moment to speak up about the events over the last few weeks. George Floyd's tragic death has once again brought to the forefront the inequalities in America that have gone ignored for too long. We're honestly sad that it's taken this long to acknowledge our part in the movement to change. While we listen and learn to that end, we'd like to direct your attention to the petition on NAACP.org and encourage you to sign if you're up to it. Or more importantly, take a moment and educate yourself on what's happening and how you can help. We at Untapped are also supporting a 57-year-old mentoring organization called 100 Black Men and Black Girls Code, whose mission is to introduce programming and technology to a new generation. Check out our blog post to learn more. We both hope to see change happen soon, and this is a good way to start. big and puffy as, as hops are, they can pull in some oxygen too, just kind of trapped in the act of dropping those hops in. So what Sierra Nevada does is they leave the active yeast in the bottom of that beer as they dry hop, which is not very common, knowing that oxygen is something yeast will eat. Because we know, if, listen to, you know, if you guys listen to the other podcasts, that oxygen is just this enemy as well to beer, so you want to get it out of it. So they know the yeast will jump up basically into those dry hops, grab the oxygen out of that that may have come in and eliminate it from the final product of the beer. Good morning. You're listening to Drinking Socially, the official untapped podcast. Your inside look into what's happening in the untapped community and the world of beer. I'm John, and we find ourselves lining up two amazing IPAs for today's show. Maybe it's because IPAs still kind of own the craft beer shelf, or maybe it's because Harrison's been obsessed with hops all week. But either way, I'm excited to get back into the heavy hops craze that so many of us love to drink. Uh, a quick fun fact about myself, I hated IPAs when I first discovered them, or at least I hadn't learned to like them yet. I would often order them because it seemed like that's the beer drinker's beer, <laughs> and immediately wish I'd got something else. Uh, but after enough of those mistakes, I found myself actually looking forward to the next one. And if you're in the same boat, my advice would be keep trying them and don't be afraid to have a cheeseburger with your next one. And I'm Harrison, and now I'm hungry. But uh, IPAs, you know, some come from the West, some come from the Northeast or New England, perhaps. Plenty from in between. We're going to put two opposing coasts up against each other today, each doing something different, even though they share some of the same ingredients. Uh, and we're also going to talk and then start our, our, our Beer 101 segment with one of the more polarizing ingredients in beer, hops. Love them, hate them. Who knows? Let's learn about them. But first, as a reminder, Drinking Socially is released every other Wednesday morning and can be found at podcast.untap.com. Or wherever you listen to or watch podcasts. Hmm. Um, like so, yeah, cool. YouTube's a good place. Um, <laughs> coming into our first segment uh, of, of the show format, catching up on the weekend, uh, Harrison Pretty awesome event last weekend at Untapped, or I guess virtually at Untapped. Uh, right. How'd it go, man? Yeah, the virtual fest, our first one uh, with halftime beverage. It was uh, it was a blast. It was pretty amazing just to kind of see all the the 
brewery representatives be there, learn about these beers from a lot of the people who actually make them, and then of course see all the untapped users out there having a blast and drinking a lot. It was it was a. Uh, it was really cool. Um, it definitely kind of, um, yeah, it, it was fantastic. So I'm, I'm pumped about it and uh, looking forward to hopefully doing some more of those in the future. But, but uh, John, did anything, any beers stand out for you that we got to enjoy last weekend? As a, as a North Carolina boy, at least in my recent years, <laughs> it, uh, it was amazing to get so many beers from the New England area. Uh, yeah. But if you know me, you know that I love dark syrupy stouts, and the one that Decadent brought was a twelve and a half percent stout. Ooh. Uh, I think it was banana, banana macadamia fudge, but macadamia. Yeah. It was it was amazing. I mean, it was thick, syrupy. It was a lot to drink, um, mm-hmm. uh, but a clever, we'll say, a, a life pro tip or maybe a, <laughs> uh, a beer hack. Uh, either way. Right. It was boozy, but what ended up being amazing was mixing it with a little bit of vanilla ice cream. And, I mean, treat yourself. We've all been through uh, some kind of crappy 2020. Uh, so right, add, right. add some ice cream to it. Right. If you're drinking a 12.5% stout, you're not counting calories, so don't <laughs> count them. Just add ice cream to it. Um, <laughs> what about uh, you, Harrison? Any, 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 uh, anything stand out for you? Yeah, I mean, finally getting to try Fiddlehead IPA. I, you know, talked about it before on the podcast. That's kind of like the one uh, really big, well-known New England um, beer from a, a well-known brewery that's always eluded me. And it came right to my front door thanks to this festival. So I got to enjoy it uh, over the weekend with with everybody else. So that was awesome. Definitely lived up to the hype. Um, it's, uh, it's great. And really kind of, you know, we're going to look at two IPAs today, Fiddleheads in its own kind of category is like an old school kind of East Coast IPA. We have a West Coast and a New England lined up that we're going to jump into next. So I'm, I'm pumped about that. But uh, so let's let's get to it, to the good stuff, John. What are we starting with today? The beer we're going to start with today is, uh, I remember the first time I had this beer. It's, uh, well, it's from Burial, who most of us know uh, at least produces really good suds. And this one is their, their most checked-in beer, Surf Wax IPA. Um, what I what I love about this is it still kind of draws a line to uh, what we call West Coast style IPA, and I'm going to ask Harrison mm-hmm. to, again, try and evaluate uh, or give me a, a little more education on West Coast versus New England versus English, but Burial's Surf Wax IPA, which I'm really excited to crack open, has a beautiful label, as all Burial beers. It comes in at 6.8% ABV, 65 IBUs is listed, and the notes on this one is, Mm. if you want the ultimate, you've got to be willing to pay the ultimate price, but are you crazy enough? Show those guys that they're inching their way on the freeways and their metal coffins that the human spirit is still alive. The sea swallows the sun, and who knows if it'll rise again. Via con Dios. Via con Dios. That sounds so yes. similar to a Keanu Reeves movie, right? Really, John? <laughs> Interesting. You should say that. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty much paraphrasing one of yeah the famous scenes from Point Break, a classic, or as TNT would refer to it, a new classic. That well, two <laughs> hours, two hours in the theater is four hours long on a Sunday afternoon <laughs> if you watch it on TNT. But it's uh, but yeah, you know, a classic Keanu Reeves and the late great Patrick Swayze with a a startling performance. 
performance from Gary Busey in there to, to round it all out. Um, yeah, a, a blast, a blast of a movie. And that's, it's hilarious. That is like the can is on the can and in the description from their website. It's just this great kind of quote paraphrase from, uh, from point break and well put. I mean, if you don't know about point break, you're missing out. Let's, let's crack this beer open and we can talk about the beer and point break and Johnny Utah and, Meatball sandwiches, all kinds of good things. This, uh... <laughs> if you're fortunate enough to have a Sunday to yourself with four right. hours to kill, Point yeah. Break might be a great way to kill a six-pack. It's a lot easier when it's on TNT. They give you convenient commercial breaks to run and grab That's another right. beer as needed and That's plenty right. of time. All right, let's get yep. this bad boy open. Let's do that. Let's jump into this thing. It popped right open. Mine almost jumped out of the can. Did jump out of the can a little bit. And with the liquid, just like tons of grapefruit literally flew into my face as I opened it up. And I'm still getting that in the nose. It's a big old poppy head. There's a haze to it, but it is not opaque. It does not look like orange juice at all, but an appropriate kind of haze. Man, that nose, though, is just rocking and rolling. I'm going to get in on this a little bit more. Oh yeah. Just right on the, uh, <laughs> right on the, the nose. Uh, you can, I say you could, or Ooh. some, uh, someone maybe a little more learned than, than most. Um, <laughs> but the nose, I would, uh, I would say mosaic or Amarillo when I smell that grapefruit jump out at me and I'm, I'm probably wrong. There's more, I imagine there's a few hops that go into this, uh, big beer from burial, but, uh, yeah. When you get that, that grapefruity smell versus like a mangoey smell or sometimes piney, usually that's just in its own. That's a good way, whether you want to try and equate that to a specific hop or just mm-hmm. no mm, piney nose. I won't like that one as much as I like the other ones or vice versa. That's a good way to pick mm-hmm. up initially uh, or get the beer stuck in your mustache like Harrison does. That's right. Like I always do. That's why it's there. Um, yeah, but this beer always has mosaic citrus centennial and Columbus in it. Um, little bit, lots of barley, touch of wheat, which you're probably, that's where the haze is coming from as well as probably the citra that has there's so much hop oil in that. It's kind of hard unless you filter the beer to have it be, uh, to not have it be a little bit hazy. So why fight it? Why filter it? You don't need to. Um, uh, but yeah, this is uh, this is delicious, and it is. It's more, um, yeah. It's the, it's it's one of those interesting beers where yes, it definitely like you know skews right up to that West Coast IPA style, but the wheat kind of brings a little bit of that mouthfeel that you may be used to now for a lot of beers. And some of them call them New England IPAs. Some of them call themselves hazy IPAs. Some just call themselves IPAs. But wheat's kind of found its way into so many of the, the IPA style, even just a little bit. And that's understandable. Once you use it as a brewer, it's kind of tough to walk away from it, the, the mouthfeel that it, it adds a whole new element. So bravo to them for not dumping it in here and just kind of using it a bit to add some character to the, uh, to the overall experience, but this is, this is great. Yeah. I get tons of grapefruit pretty much all the way through. And it's, it's like a nice warming bitterness. Some of it may come from the Columbus. There's like a little bit of a dankness in there. It's like right at the end. It's like just a, just a dollop of dank. (laughs) Just a dollop of dank. I love that. Um, I get your name. Seriously, it's got to be out there. Um, a quick untapped search might reveal it. Um, 
there's so when I think of West Coast IPA, I, it takes me back to those early days when I was like just learning, like just dipping my. T- I'll drink an IPA because everyone else is, and maybe mm. eventually I'll learn what 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 the fuss is about. Sure as hell, I right. did. Um, then New England happened, and it changed what IPAs could be perceived as. I feel like it'd be easy to fall in love with them now if yeah. you started with a New England, but uh, rather than just throw these vernaculars around Harrison. What's the, can you give me a quick, like if I was try, if you were running a, a, a bottle shop and I, you know, what's the difference between, we'll say an English style IPA, a West coast mm. IPA and a new England, uh, other than the labels and maybe who makes them or where right. they came from. Like, what can I expect the big differences to be in taste? <sighs> Sure. Uh, try, try to keep it high level. Your English IPA is going to be super balanced, so it's going to have a nice malt profile, some nice bitterness, some flavor from the hops too, but everything is in balance and there's it's not over, nothing overpowers, neither side of that overpowers the other. Uh, West Coast, you kind of put the pedal to the metal on the hops. You can dial back the malt, and it's um, a very it's a more bitter beer. So we'll talk about this in a little bit. But to achieve that, you want to put hops more hops early in the boil to actually have that bitterness come out in the beer. So that's what West Coast IPAs have always done. Um, minimum we can get into. They also dry hop and do other cool things too to just kind of take the whole experience of the hop from bitterness to floral all the way through. That's what West Coast IPAs do really well. And then traditional New England's, really, there's almost no perceived bitterness. They can be, and they are now, I mean, pretty much universally really hazy beers, hard to see through or opaque completely. Um, And all those hops are added late in the boil, which gives you much more hop flavor and almost no bitterness at all. Now, a ton of beers kind of live in between all those categories, and and, um, that makes things kind of interesting and also kind of hard to pinpoint you know what exactly you're drinking sometimes um but uh uh but yeah traditionally that's what you're looking at um but again every brewery kind of approaches them differently again like a west coast ipa uh when i looked at this beer i was a curious you know before i read up about it and was just drinking it from sight i was wondering where it was gonna live like what the brewery would identify it as uh if it was going to be a new england or a west coast or a hazy beer or just call it an ipa and kind of let people battle over it, um, you know, in bars and, and, and tap rooms all over the world of what it actually is. But they classify it as a West Coast, and it easily is where it falls on the bitterness profile um, and pretty much everything about it. But, again, it does have that hazy profile that uh, or that slight haze to it, which you did not see in West Coast IPAs of, like, the early 2000s and, and so on. They're much more, uh, like, copper in color. Um, and see through completely transparent. West Coast IPAs, I often, even if it's not super correct, I think of Victory's Dirt Wolf, but obviously mm. Pliny the Elder, I, I think sure. is a, probably a great, yep. well yep. sought yep. after example. Yeah, Green Flash's West Coast IPA is the one I think about every time. And that is like a hop monster. I mean, you you drink that thing and it's just like, 
Well, they have another beer called Palette Wrecker that's like a double yep. uh, West Coast IPA, and that that is a well named beer. I remember having <laughs> that for the first time, and like I couldn't believe it. And that was, I mean, you have to understand, like before, and John remembers as well. Before, like the haze craze we live in now, the battle was the IBU battle. It was who can out bitter the other brewer. Who can? I got eighty IBUs. I got ninety. I got one hundred and twenty in mine. I, you know, I can't even taste anything else for a week after I drink it. Like, but that was kind of where the the hot ticket was and um and i remember that i remember kind of successfully successively drinking more and more bitter beers and being roped right into that of like that was what i used to look for all the time in labels and on untapped and, and beer advocate was like where who's gonna do it next who's gonna that that brewery has 100 ibu beer well i, I gotta i gotta know what that's like i gotta experience that and it became a call to action to Check it out yourself. Yes. Um, I, I remember those like uh, just like, I mean, every trend in, in craft brewery certainly has its, its share of trends, but um, chasing that IBU threshold, you know, first you don't know what they are. Then right. you learn IBU means bitter. So I should stay away from them. Then you get the bug, <laughs> you know, where it's like, all right, yeah, I'm, I love IBUs. And, you know, and then someone comes to you and says, hey, this beer here from Napa Smith is 140 IBUs or something. That's right. Like hardly right. perceivable. And you're 140. Right. right. Bring it right. on. Exactly. <laughs> do, you, do you serve it in stein? I am ready to go. Right. This one, you bring your own hops and you eat it while you drink it. Oh, <laughs> of course I do. Let's do it. So yeah, it kind of got wild there for for a long time. But I yeah, I remember that. It was it was it was I was again I was right there. I was hooked. That was that was my jam. Let's try and t- let me taste some beer that that made my tongue go numb. Gosh, um, I remember that. It, well, I think what for me what ended that was I was brewing a beer with the unknown brewery out in Charlotte, and mm-hmm. um, I he's you know he's like oh check out all these we got fresh hops we got pellets and uh, we we're looking at bittering hops to start the Boyle Harrison will cover this coming up in beer one hundred and one in better detail but uh, I grabbed one of the pellets and so did he and we looked at each other and this through unwritten language we just both popped them in our mouth and bit into uh, what was oh I'm, no I think it was a Columbus uh, pellet and I can right. still taste that, Harrison. I can still I taste bet. that years and years later. Oh. But that was that was what pushed me into the New England phase, uh, or embracing a, an IPA with almost none of the bitterness from those uh, from those early bittering hop additions. Oh, yeah. oh man, I can. Yep. That, yeah, that's kind of classic first day on the brew job hazing too, because you'll you'll as a brewer to a new brewer, a new recruit, take them over to the grain bill and the grain bed and go, yeah, you can grab a handful of that and you can eat it. You can eat it right here. Kind of tastes like grape nuts. And they go, oh, cool, yeah, yeah. Go over to the hops. You can grab grab a couple of those hops. You can eat it just like the grain. And they go, ah, <laughs> and everyone laughs at him and you go, oh, you idiot. And then you're kind of you know, so I've seen that happen to, many, to the next person, yeah, right? Many times to many people. People, but it's right. It's don't eat hops. Don't don't eat tops that are don't don't do it. Just don't do it. There's nothing enjoyable about it. 
it won't be like in a more intense experience than the drunk the version you're drinking it's totally different and really just like a soury bittery painful thing that uh yeah as john said it can scar your mind forever so or do and see you know whatever and i have that memory whatever you live your life but uh be you've been warned it's probably not going to be maybe what you think it is some kind of cool intense and and rewarding experience it's just going to be gross one of these days we'll cover the ibu calculations and how a hot pellet tastes so much differently than a bunch of hot pellets thrown into a beer. Mm -hmm. Um, That'll be covered uh, ideally on on one of the upcoming beer one-on-one segments, but this episode and segment are about hops and this beer Harrison, just to try and uh, I, I, I think uh, I, I feel bad. I haven't done it justice for those of you that are able to get your hands on something from burial uh, this you may look at it and say, all right, surf wax. That's their kind of that's their shelf beer. That's the one they produce all year long. But it tastes just like it did the first time I got my hands on it. It was the first mm-hmm. burial beer I'd ever had, and you know I remember thinking like this is great. And a lot of it was because it reminded me so much of that hot pellet. Like you could taste sure. it wasn't just bitter, but there was flavor yep. that came along with it. Yeah. Yeah. For me, this is just grapefruit through and through. It's drinkable. It's, you know, not crazy high ABV. It's not super intensely hoppy, but it definitely, or bitter, but it it just, it just hits, kind of checks all the boxes for a beer, right? That I could reach and grab whenever I want. And it excites me like the beers of yesteryear did. Um, Yester beers. Yes. Yester beers. Right. Oh boy. If not as, if it's not as challenging as, you know, again, 120 IBU beer, but I, those days are, I did that. I climbed that mountain, summited the top. Now I'm here happy to drink. Yeah. 65 IBU IPAs that are flavorful and, and doing a lot of stuff. Um, uh, like this one is here. It's um, it's delicious and obviously super well made. As you said, it's I've had this beer a couple times. Every time it tastes the same. Every time it tastes really good. That's a testament to just how you know how much burial care is about what they produce. So pumped we have it all over the place. You know, it's I know this is in some places a hard beer to get or it doesn't exist. You can't get it there and. Here we're spoiled. It's you know it's it's all over. So, um, but but again, sometimes those are the beers you overlook. So I'm glad we took some time today to look at this one. And I should add, while we're talking about this beer and Point Break, one of the the great things Point Bre- Point Break taught me was or showed me for the first time was the idea of birios there's a scene early in that in that <laughs> in that movie where tom sizemore is playing like an undercover dea agent in like this server house that maybe these servers maybe bank robbers or whatever um and he's in the kitchen, having Cheerios and pouring a beer in it in the morning is part of his undercoverness. And I, I remember watching that as like a, I don't know, 15 year old kid and being like, or 16 or whatever, and being like, what is that's not milk? What's happening? And then a small kernel of an, an idea was planted <laughs> there that slowly grew into the revelation that that's what it means to be a free man. It is pour beer in your Cheerios and, and watch some cartoons and, 
and just kind of check out for the day. So thank you, Tom and, and, and Keanu and everyone involved. But yeah, as John said, if you haven't seen it, check it out. The Bodhisattva, who is Patrick Swayze's character, a lot of wisdom. Many of it is on the back of this can, um, but uh, even more so. And it's definitely a good time to uh, spend an afternoon checking it out. So, um, yeah, a lot of, lot of references, to that movie. a lot of great quotes, a lot of great T-shirts of those quotes. Lots of good stuff. Seriously, it seems as though Keanu Reeves, Keanu Reeves has become something of a, uh, I don't, I don't want to say cult leader, but, it, <laughs> but, <laughs> but if you look at almost every is. film he's been in, right? Like the matrix right. has a specific fan following point yeah. break might not be the first, like what's the best movie you've ever, but point break <laughs> It's hard to right. disagree. That's a film worth spending right. half your Sunday on. I know, right? Exactly. He's in the upcoming cyberpunk video yeah. game. Is is yeah. maybe a hero, maybe a bad guy? I don't know. But if Keanu sure. Reeves puts his name on it, beer or movie or breakfast, I'm in, I'm interested. Yeah. I know. I think we all are. All the John Wick stuffs going crazy. Uh, Bill and Ted's coming back with more. Yeah. I just saw the, the trailer for that dropped recently, so that'll be. A good time. I'm still waiting for Speed 3. I don't know where you can go after a bus and then a boat, maybe a spaceship. Are we due for Keanu in space with Speed 3 and he's trying to not crash into the moon? I mean, that could – I mean, I think I just wrote your pitch, and I think everyone listening is on board, so – Reach out, Keanu. We'll, we'll talk about it. We'll share some some surf wax and meatball sandwiches and whatever. Um, but, yeah, who knows? You're right. He's great. I'm a fan. Man, that sounds um, like a dream. Um, uh, so not to get stuck on Keanu Reeves, which is an easy <laughs> thing to do when you're podcasting because uh, he pretty much writes the whole show for you. Let's, uh, let's refrain, and I'm going to move us a little bit forward. We'll jump into the social media updates for uh, episode yes. 13. And Let's it's, do it. Uh, it's, a, it's a good problem to have. As I was looking through the Facebook group for the last week, there's just there's so many photos of beers. Mm-hmm. Amazing. I saw one yeah. posted as a beer made and brewed in Russia, and it was a bottle that I'd, I'd never even seen that shape Oh, yeah. Before. I saw that, too. Right. Very cool. Good genie in a bottle. Neat. It uh, makes me very jealous, but it was really cool to see how many – there's a lot of check-ins worldwide. Uh, I say check-ins. They're people that are checking in on Untap, sharing the photos in the Facebook group. But nonetheless, worldwide you see German beers and, and people in Sweden and people in from Japan drinking sours. And that's yeah. that's something I, I I love to see, but it makes it hard to to, to – to, <laughs> Uh, to celebrate or share any of them specifically. But there were a few posts that stood out. Um, The one that might be most important to share as soon as possible is uh, from uh, Shannon shared it in the Facebook group, but it comes from a a little brewery called the Vale. Mm -hmm. Um, They've, they've got a pretty good, they're Keanu Reeves esque brewery. Please don't get mad at me for saying that the Vale, but I think they'd appreciate it. (laughs) I hope so. Um, and I mean, the first, the first brewery I'd seen celebrating zero IBU IPAs, uh, which right, they do that's pretty right. frequently, but uh, a very celebrated brewery in Richmond, Virginia and on their Facebook and on their website, they announced that on, uh, actually last Tuesday, June 9th, they've started shipping 
beyond Virginia and D.C., they're now shipping to Vermont, New Hampshire, Ohio, Florida, Nebraska, Nevada, North Dakota, Oregon, Nevada again. Um, (laughs) That might be a typo on my part or theirs. I'm going to take the credit for (laughs) double Nevada because you've got to ship there twice. And Alaska. Uh, sadly, no North Carolina for us on there, uh, Harrison. But uh, that was no. amazing. Any of you that are that are living in those states or either Nevada, um, please, <laughs> if you're up to it, uh, check that out. That might be an exciting way to get some really cool beer that's maybe still cheaper than flying to Richmond. Uh, we've seen a couple of things like that. Breweries uh, open up when when possible and start shipping beers harrison do you when you worked in in breweries this probably wasn't as popular but do you have any insight on how that works shipping state to state or Um, anything yeah we didn't do anything like that but the veil made it really clear uh in a post on their social media they said and i'll kind of paraphrase a bit here that you know they they promised that they weren't playing favorites kind of working closely with their compliance agent and hoping hoping to open up you know much many more states but it's really kind of out of their hands states that states that allow you to legally ship um out of state beer there they're shipping beer there um so if your state's not on that list it's just because they legally can't do it so hands kind of tied and that's i mean that's been the case for a while and um you know some of that's changing a bit recently um but you know sierra nevada is doing something very similar they opened up their cellar which is really cool so you can jump onto sierra nevada's uh, shop and get beers that uh either released a long time ago never released outside of the brewery that they may have sat on some cases of their shipping now and one that they caught uh, our eye was they're doing a vertical of Bigfoot. So they're American style barley wine. You can get a 12 pack of it. Cool. That includes, yeah, right. Which is that, I mean, that that's alone is, is terrifying and also exciting. Just like meeting Bigfoot probably would be in person. <laughs> um, but uh, uh, you have so 12 bottles, three of each of the following years. So three from 2011, three from 2014, three from 2016 and three from 2020. So this year is uh this year's batch of it, which is so cool. And they too list their shipping to California and North Carolina, which is where obviously both of their breweries are located, North Dakota, uh, Nebraska, New Hampshire, Virginia, and Vermont. Uh, and they hope to add more states soon. So same deal, you know, can't ship everywhere, which is um, is a bummer. But again, if you're in those States, it's a steal to grab all that Bigfoot for. I think they're asking thirty-five bucks for it right now, which is pretty wild to get that beer. Which again, we talked about before. I love it. It's kind of like a once a year celebratory thing. When it's cold out for me, I'll have one Bigfoot and then go to bed. But it'll be <laughs> a great, you know, forty minutes spent really letting that beer. kind of just change in the glass and to open up one from 2011. I mean, you hold on to that for a year. That's a 10 year old beer. That's going to be wild. I would, you know, it'd be, I mean, that's so. Are you saying we should order one of these? Right. right. We're, we're certainly looking at it over here at Turkey socially and it very well may be inadvertently advertising for a later episode of this show that we dive into those verticals. Cause it's kind of, it's been sitting in the back of my mind as a thing. I'll probably be bummed about if I don't do it. Uh, if we don't do it in the near future. So 
I think it's safe to safe-ish to say um, we may give you some even more details about those beers sometime in the near future. Holy um, cow, that's going to be a day right. off. Uh, yeah, right. Maybe exactly. two days off afterwards. Right. Clear <laughs> the calendar. Get the Pedialyte ready. Have a huge bunch of lasagna beforehand. Lots of prep. But uh, we'll be up for it. I'm excited about it. That's that's outstanding. You said that's available on Sierra Nevada's website. You can go there and check yep. it out. Yeah, the shop at SierraNevada.com, and it's in there with all their other really – tons of stuff. Like I said, pull it out of the cellar, a lot of really cool – other Trip of the Woods series and nice. other things um, that I thought I may never see again that are in there. So it's definitely worth a look um, uh, if you have the time and uh, the interest. Very much the same for The Veil. Check out their website if you're in Nevada, Nevada, or North Dakota, or any of the other states <laughs> referenced. Um, but uh, that's that's one. I guess it's a it's a positive. You, you, Harrison and I always try and, and, and try and make sure we're picking it because there's a badge for the podcast. You know, try and be cognizant of where we get our beers from. And this is something totally unexpected. But it, it's not a plug for the podcast or the podcast badge. But Take a quick look on the internet. There's a lot of breweries that you might have not been able to get before that that may mm-hmm. actually be shipping to your state now, which yes. is a heck of a lot easier than traveling right now. Yep. Yep. Yeah, then, absolutely. Uh, to transition, the other uh, update in the Drinking Socially group that I wanted to draw attention to comes from James. Um, and this is totally personal. This is subjective. But James shared a beer with maybe the coolest design I've ever seen. Uh, the beer is made by Southern Grist, and it's called Saved by the Belma. Um, yes. In, in, in homage to the Belma hops that are used in the beer. But as you may guess, the logo, the design, it looks exactly like you're watching Zach Morris arrive to school just in time to be saved by the bell in the mid-1990s, which is amazing. Talking about artwork and logo and design that go into not just brewing a beer, but then putting it on the shelf and capturing people's attention what a what a I, as soon as I saw the beer can, I was already singing you know in my head yep. have, you, yep. have you seen that beer Harrison? did you see James post I did yeah, and it right it jumps right out those colors are i don't know that burned into my mind much like your horrible hop experience was John where <laughs> right, the music starts playing, you can see everyone's flowing hair and their weird clothes that I wish I could still get away with wearing um and uh yeah, and kind of hear the track rolling and the the, the the classic middle school or high school, whatever they're supposed to be conversations. They would <laughs> lamenting about where they sit in the cafeteria and who will take me to prom and uh, what was me. What a <laughs> it's uh, it's refreshing though to think back about that stuff and 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 know that right. Well, you can never be as cool as Zach Morris. Maybe you know Screech got what gotcha. You understood what was going on with your life. <laughs> and that was that was good for right uh, for anyone growing up kind of wondering what the heck to do so that was that's cool as heck i love it when breweries do that um just you know and it makes sense right like the people who drink beer now were the same people who grew up watching to say by the bell so why not um let's strike up a conversation there while using a really cool hop, hop you don't see a lot of i don't even know i've ever had a beer with belma in it so also strictly on the beer side of things awesome to highlight a hop that uh as far as to my knowledge, doesn't get a lot of doesn't get a lot of play and a lot of attention. So bunch of bunch of wins there. Totally true. Maybe it's an unfortunate name, um, but Belma Belma hopped. Uh, it doesn't lend. It doesn't sound as like fascinating as Citra Galaxy right. Mosaic right. Belma. Right. So- 
Um, it's a tough, right, tough, tough to stand out in the hop game these days. You need an agent. Beautiful move uh, <laughs> by Southern Grist making that work for them. I think that's uh, not to take anything away from their beer because we know they make great beer, but what an awesome uh, move to get people's attention as well. We saw that a few times in the group uh, over the last few months. There was uh, a brewery in Spain that was doing beer that looked exactly, it was very Andy Warhol. Oh, it looked yeah. like a Campbell soup. Uh, right. Um, and now, even though I have the whole internet in front of me, their their name eludes me. So this sounds like a perfect time to take a break yeah. here from our sponsor. And we'll be joining you back with another and different IPA very soon. Mm-hmm. Want to show off your love of Untapped? Check out our online store and pick up Untapped branded glassware, shirts, sweatshirts, hats, more Depending on how hot or cold you are, go to store.untap.com and enter the coupon code podcast when you check out. That'll get 20% off anything you order. That's store.untap.com. Use the coupon code podcast, 20% off for you. Plus, it lets them know that you guys are listening, and we love that here. All right. Well, good to hear from the Untapped store as always, and excited to jump back in with beer number two. We have today a local favorite. Boom. Neon God from New Anthem Beer Project. So if you guys don't live in Wilmington or North Carolina or by now the Southeast, because these guys have kind of snuck out of uh, out of North Carolina to a couple of different places in D.C. I saw them and in Atlanta, but you're not kind of um, down in the Southeast. You may not know about New Anthem Beer Project yet. But if you looked at the top 20 IPAs on tap on the England uh, IPA style, you've actually probably seen them because one of their beers is on there despite coming from tiny little Wilmington. So today we're drinking not that beer, but we are drinking their most checked in beer, Neon God. Um, we'll talk about Throwing Shade. That's their kind of highest rated one, um, as we, I'm sure, as we go through this. But Neon God... Uh, New, uh, New Anthem classifies it as a New England style IPA, comes in around 6.9% ABV, and um, the notes on it—they're always very straightforward with their beers, which part <laughs> appreciates. They, you know, they kind of just hit the hit what you want to know. It always has Citra, uh, Simcoa, Mosaic in it, and he uses pale malt, oats, wheat, and then some lactose, um, and sometimes C20 in this beer too. Um, and as you can see, as you kind of pour this guy out and take a look at it, that's, John already is enjoying it. I mean, it is a, it is a thick, a thick a, beverage. <laughs> thick <laughs> with about five or maybe right. even 12 C's. Look at that guy, man. Um, but it's, it's awesome. And they, you know, just recently re-released it. So, had to jump on it and I we're fortunate and untapped and that our headquarters is right next to one of their locations. Like literally you could throw a football from our roof to their front door. Um, or go there right. for lunch. Just, right. Sure. Just walk there. Right. Right. Sure. Hypothetically. <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, so we're, we're lucky. These guys are putting out some awesome stuff and uh, the world is starting to take notes. So we figured it was time to, uh, to get these guys on the show because it's it's kind of like our our spot I guess if you will or one of them at the, at the office to, to to easily walk over to um, sometimes it doesn't need to be said you kind of just look at each other and go eh? 
new anthem time time for a pint new anthem um which is cool so we're gonna yeah god from them today and i'm pumped yeah these guys um when when i moved th- these these are part of the story i tell everyone and if you listen to the podcast i'm sorry you've probably heard it before but when i first moved to wilmington the beer scene was lacking and you know then it was just one miraculous summer where we saw a bunch of some of the breweries that were here kind of take the initiative to, uh, you know, bet, I don't want to say better themselves, but like make make themselves make the tap rooms a little bit more welcoming and, and kind of embrace the craft culture. And then you saw more breweries come in. New Anthem was one of them. And some of the first beer I ever had from them tasted really hot in the, like, it, it right. ta- you know, it was, I was like, ah, eh, I love what they're doing. Like they're making a lot of new England. Their, their styles are great. Um, but I remember tasting them. It was at a beer festival and I was thinking, eh, you know, you know, like I wish it, there's just something about here. I can't identify that, uh, that keeps us from being so perfect. And then, you know, sure as hell, a couple weeks later, they opened their tap room and they, you know, and they announced we're testing recipes still. And the, and the beers that were on the chalkboard went from like batch seven citra mosaic to where they started to get names and all the names are lyrics from songs. Aaron, who, who kind of founded or co-founded the brewery and, and his staff are, Yes, they love Taylor Swift when they're when they're canning. But <laughs> big fan of Beastie Boys. Uh, there's a beautiful mural in their new location with Missy Elliott, Beastie Boys, and um, I wish I could remember who else is in there. But it's right. musically music and influence the names of their beers, just like this one, Neon God, um, which comes from uh, right. uh, Paul they, Simon and Simon Garfunkel's "Out of Silence" line. Uh, in that uh, in that song, right, which is which is really cool too, um, right? Yeah, there's they got they got stuff going on. I'm thinking they're on another level with their names and their beers and all that that great stuff. But uh, you're right, John. I remember that. I remember the early days. Uh, I forgot until you just mentioned of New Anthem, where it would be like batch seven, batch eight, batch nine. You'd walk in there and be like, hmm. and then one day batch nine would become, you know, Neon God or, you know, whatever, um, a beer that has a name and they've kind of figured out what that beer they were trying to make should actually taste like. And we got it on batch 11 and now it's got a name. And uh, that's very similar to what, um, what Trogues uh, Independent Brewing did in now Hershey PA, they have their Scratch series, which I think is almost up to 500 beers now, but their barley wine flying mouflon was like Scratch number 11 or something. It was like one of their early Scratch beers, and it was a hit in the tap room, and they were like, all right, let's make this all the time now. And I don't know if they still do, but that was another American sour barley wine that I was like, oh, this beer is amazing. The first time I had it, I was just knocked knocked away by it. So that started out as just kind of like a, let's see what we can do here. I have kind of an idea, and and had uh, it uh, took off. So um, that's what that's what I love about that taproom model and 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 brew pubs too. Like really kind of American craft beer. You walk into a place and a beer you may taste it one time and it's the first time I made it and it's kind of interesting or whatever. And you come back two, three times, two, three batches later. And it's, 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 it's a totally different beer. Um, that's kind of the fully realized version of, of where they were trying to get to. And, 
um, and kind of speak to the art and the science that, that that is brewing and that it's really hard to land right on the bullseye the first time uh, with anything, and beer is no exception. Absolutely. And you're dealing with so many variables. I mean, if you ever baked you realize that baking in the summer is a little bit different than baking in right. the winter. Brewing beer isn't so yeah. much different where maybe your citra hops, you know, that you got last month taste a little, right. smell a little different than they do this month. So you make adjustments. And uh, I'm, as Harrison mentioned, we're kind of spoiled at Untapped that this brewery is so close to the office and it allows us the freedom to visit on lunch or after work. Um, but there's been many times where I was able to speak with Aaron and, you know, just like when, it, when a chef comes to your table, you know, and he's, he's always incredibly candid. Thanks, Aaron, right. if you're listening. Um, right. But what I love is that you can tell so many times it's not necessarily about like, I want to make the best New England IPA that the world checks in, or I want to make the the craziest beer you've never heard of. Usually it's just very much like, I really care about every drop of liquid that leaves this brew house and he'll, right. he'll go on and, you know, he'll tell, well, it was hotter that day. So we had to make some adjustments and, you know, it wasn't, it was supposed to be a Saison and we adjust what a, he's always very willing and forthcoming to talk about changes that they made to make sure they weren't just delivering the same neon gods you were used to. They were delivering the best product they could. And, and that's something that sticks with me. Every new Anthem beer I've ever had uh, has been a, a, a awesome check-in, a great experience. Yeah. 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 To your point, I think they got like a, a shipment of citra or something not, I guess it's a year plus ago now that wasn't up to snuff and Aaron just got rid of it and kind of made an announcement online of like, I know you guys were hoping for this one beer to come out, but we couldn't make it that, you know, hops weren't where I wanted them to be. So we made something different. And again, you adjust, you, you make what you have work for you, but um, yeah, if something that's not up to your standard shows up, he's not afraid to be like, Nope, not happening. And just kind of have it make a kick rock. So, uh, yeah, so that, right. That, that kind of, that, that is his thinking though, to every, every single beer, you know, um, it's, it's always tough to know what goes on behind the scenes at your favorite brewery, but it's really nice to know that he's always approaching every beer like that. And that, that is, you know, a testament to them and something that stands out in every beer you have from them is that it's going to be really quality stuff, um, whatever it is. And, um, and neon God was one that you and I gravitated towards collectively as soon as we had it, I think because it was, you know, one of their, one of their lower ABV ish beers, kind of like it wasn't one of the big double IPAs they make a ton of, uh, which is always nice for us, but also it's just, it's really flavorful. It's very drinkable. It's, it's something about, I mean, having it now, uh, it's been a little bit, I've, I've checked it in, I think only four times, but, um, and looking at my past check-ins, actually, I could do that to remind myself of had about how I, how it was in the past, and what I thought of, and, and all that stuff. It's really, um, it's very like, not to use an overused term, but it's very orange juicy, even in like down to the citrusy, rindy kind of bitterness that's that's happening um, with it. It's, uh, mm, it just jumps out um, with that. Uh, with just like orange bitterness all the way through, which is pretty interesting um, for New England. And then again, this one, there's a fair amount of bitterness to it. However, what I will say is that um, it's 
hard to tell how much of that is just coming from kind of how much hops is in here quantity wise, like just the amount of this is double dry hopped with Citra and mosaics. There's a ton of hops in this beer and that can impart things that bitterness that's a little bit different than what you would get from boiling hops. So, um, but it's very drinkable. I mean, almost all my check-ins are like, you know, trying not to drink this in two sips and so on. Um, and that's, it, that's true today too. It's just like this, it's just, it's just delicious. It's, it's hard not to chug it like you would, you know, a Capri sun on a hot it, afternoon. It brings that even in, in the nose is very tropical fruit in the, in, in the, when you taste it, um, that tropical fruit, but there's, I'm going to, I'm going to say like, a bubbly spiciness that kind of cuts through that. It's not crisp and clean, but it's, it, it, it doesn't linger. It's enough where, you know, I noticed myself drinking this beer at the same pace. I would a Sierra Nevada pale ale, but it's mm. relatively 7%. Right. I go back through uh, some of my check-ins. The first time I had this beer was almost three years ago to the date. And uh, then uh, a little bit afterwards, uh, I had this beer I checked in when I married Ashley, my wife. There you go. We talked to Aaron and we said, you know, we love your beer. We want to have craft beer at the wedding. And just an example of how accommodating he was. You know, we said, I want to get a a half keg of Neon God if you're still producing it. My wife and I love that beer. And he said, yep, that's great. And then something happened the day of our wedding where the kegs either got sold out or misplaced or, or something happened, you know, and he calls me, you know, the more any, any, anybody that's been married before knows the day of your wedding is just a whirlwind of soup spilling all over your shoes. <laughs> and, and Aaron calls me early in the morning. He says, the kegs messed up. Don't worry though. I got you show up at the tap room, which is close to where we're getting married. Anyways, I show up at the tap room and uh, Chelsea who was their, their tap room manager at the time will take care of you. And she's already got like a pallet truck loaded up full of cans of neon. God, it was the first time that ever canned it. And oh, wow. now we're at my wedding and I have these 16 ounce tall boy cans of a new England IPA. <laughs> Not everybody's familiar with craft beer. So that right. got a little bit messy. Um, yeah. Wedding drinking is a different kind of drinking. That's a, uh, right. That's a whole other, a ball of wax you gotta look out that's uh <laughs> that was uh yep that was a lesson learned for some people um i don't even remember drinking much that <laughs> night but I've, I've checked into this yeah. beer a lot even recently uh mike from iowa an untapped friend of mine says cheers one of my highlights to wilmington uh was new yeah. anthem and the untapped headquarters um but uh, uh, right. mike if you're that. listening i'm sorry that they wouldn't sell you a taster glass while you were here um that sucks, man. But on a on a brighter note, um, I'm gonna reach out to Mike personally. On a brighter note, uh, Neon God still halfway in my glass. Harrison, how's it treating you? Yeah, right. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's it's awesome. And sitting here looking at this beer, it's been checked in uh, by uh, six thousand four hundred seventy-five different times total. Four thousand plus unique. One hundred eighty-seven this month. So they did just release it again recently. Um, and, uh, carries a 4.28 rating on untapped, uh, which is obviously pretty impressive and, and yeah, and, and well-deserved. I mean, again, it's, it's wild. This is available as, you know, 
right down the road from us all the time, which is how 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 good it is and what they're doing. Um, as we said, it's their it's their uh, most checked in beer. Followed by Steez, which is a beer actually they released right before Neon God that I had a bunch of that was great and and I was no check then and then throwing shade and throwing shade is the one that kind of cracks that top uh, rated New England style IPAs on Untapped and that carries a four point three one on Untapped so Man, neck that's and so neck close with, yeah right with with Neon God and that is an all Citra. Uh, hopped uh, another 6.9 percent ABV New England style IPA, and that one that one's amazing too. Um, we may in, in later episodes get our hands on and talk about it because that one's just a crazy blast of just citra magic. Um, but yeah, but was but Neon God was an easy choice today because it was one of the ones that you and I I think collectively bonded around uh, early on in the New Anthem days of this one being a beer that. Uh, that was impressive and, and kind of signaled that they were not messing around and someone to watch out for. And we kind of started to, to laugh against and, and imagine what the world, what it would be like when the world kind of discovers these guys. And we have people coming in from other States, line up the block to grab what they can from them. And indeed, you know, not long after that, I remember one weekend leaving the beach and wanted to grab, like they just released one of their beers and tell my wife, let's just swing by real quick to the tap room and I'll grab a four packer and we'll head home. And I get there and there's a line out the door and I'm like, Oh my gosh, it's happening. happening. I can't, yep. I can't stand here for 45 minutes. I gotta, I gotta go. But luckily the line moved pretty quick and my wife's very understanding. So I was <laughs> able to, able to, to make that work. Uh, but yeah, but, but right. It, it, it happened. And, uh, and for them, and it still is, and and uh, so yeah, definitely wanted to kind of tell tell all you guys about this because it's if you're ever vacationing to Wilmington or you have a chance to um, acquire this beer from a friend somehow, anything from New Anthem, I think I mean definitely check it out. Um, and and yes, obviously if you're ever here, go and and, and visit them if you're able. It's a uh, it's a treat. It's 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 a place you, you should put on your list for sure. I, I couldn't agree more. I think uh, I, similar experiences with Harrison thinking like this is going to be the brewery that, you know, puts Wilmington on the map. Um, and what I, what I think happens, and this might be more of a business move, but it, you know, you get someone like this, that's that's doing new England IPAs, which are the trend and they've got everything really dialed in. It elevates the whole city to mm-hmm. where, you know, yeah, now right. there's, there's, I don't know, there's five, six, seven other breweries right in Wilmington that are releasing beers of this caliber as well. So that's yeah. true. I mean, yeah, we could, and probably should, now that we're saying it out loud, we should probably do like a Wilmington episode, even though it'll be frustrating for a lot of people not to grab every beer we're talking about. Um, it had, you're absolutely correct, John. Like, and I've seen that in other cities I've brewed in, lived in, had friends who lived in, heard about where, right. Some brewery opens up and, really knocks the cover off the ball and every other brewery or brewery and planning is like, all right, that's the bar. Let's get there or beyond it. And let's really dial in. And it becomes exciting uh, for the brewing community, for the consumer, for the breweries, for everybody involved to know that like you can bounce on a Sunday or a Saturday to five or six different spots and try their version of that hopped up single hop, crazy new England. They all release that same day and have a different experience at each and have it all be until your palate burns out. You know, just really good quality stuff. Um, 
Yeah, so that's that's kind of what we're living in right right now. You're right, and that's what we've seen over the past couple of years is that kind of progressive uh, one-upmanship. Unlike uh, you know the IBU wars we spoke about earlier in the, the podcast, this is just kind of the, the who can make the juiciest haze bomb out there that uh, it doesn't taste like you're drinking some kind of weird concentrated orange juice, but is in fact something you want to keep drinking because it's enjoyable, which is. It can happen. Uh, we're fortunate that that's not not happening. Not happening right now. It's so true. Glasses. I think there's. I mean, there's a. I won't. I won't disparage uh, a hazy sunny D. I think there's a. Th- those are delicious. Uh, a watermelon juicy sour that's mainly a, a watermelon delicious drink uh, that that is labeled as a sour. Like all those things. Uh, I'm really grateful that we live in a time where those exist and get shelf space so that I can drink them if I want, um, whether it's one or 20 or, or, or whatever. I think uh, being open-minded and being able to uh, allow anyone to put anything they want into a beer, put it on the shelf, hopefully the consumer decides or at least influences the trend. But it's it's we say this all the time on Drinking Socially, it is an outstanding time to be a beer drinker. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. It's the golden age. It's, it's, you know, you can call it a bunch of different things, but it's, you know, it's, it's interesting. Um, Early on in my days of being a a beer rep, it was kind of like, which is now 15 plus year, 10 years or whatever. It was kind of like a lot of people would accumulate it or equate it to like the, like the late sixties and early seventies of music where it was innovation. It was excitement. It was all these festivals you would go to around beer where people were talking about exciting things and ideas and lots of energy about it. And, um, and who's that? That's the brewer from Lagunitas. And that's the guy who look at it. There was, there was kind of like a lot of, uh, you know, starry eyed excitement there. And, and, uh, and a lot of, um, a lot of just, you know, cool people, hit people, people. It was exciting to be a, a brewer or a guy who made the labels for the cans, much like a man who used to, a person who used to design the, you know, album art for, for stuff in the 60s that some of them are really crazy and weird. Most of them were. So there's a fair amount of easy parallels to make. But, uh, but yeah, that, and that, and that kind of had came and went. And I feel like the craft beer, you know, it's kind of less of a bubble and more of this staircase. It just keeps going where there hasn't been a ceiling and stuff just keeps getting better, uh, which is exciting that we have that. Uh, it's like, right, what it keeps, we're just more to look forward to, which is, we're lucky. That idea of, uh, of, of sharing information, I think is part of the, the romance of like oh, craft beers, brewers, they get along. It's a, it's a, there's a united, uh, so it's a business, right? So there's going to be some competition, but I think there is, when we were on, uh, we'll drop a soundbite later in the episode, but we were on a podcast recently with, uh, Mario and Brian, the ski bums podcast. And, uh, they're talking about in Tampa, how brewers were, uh, kind of meeting brewers from different areas and starting to share ideas. And then what happens like now the Tampa beer scene just kind of blossoms with all these fresh ideas. And it, maybe you didn't know what a grisette was and maybe you looked at it kind of weirdly, yeah. but sometimes grab a grisette, you know, it right. doesn't, it, it's not the beer yeah. you want to drink before you go out clubbing, but it is a great <laughs> beer for a Sunday on the couch with Keanu Reeves. Exactly. And that's right. And that's right. That's what we're talking about today is Keanu Reeves beers, right? Isn't that what we're 
(laughs) (laughs) Quick reformat on the show. Let's leave Keanu Reeves as much out of the next segment as we can. Harrison's been racking his brain to get ready for the next, I think, 10 episodes are going to have a segment uh, revolving around what we've labeled Beer 101, uh, which essentially is just kind of taking us back. Myself, Harrison's done a lot of research, and hopefully you listening. We know some, some of your BJCP judges, some of your advanced master Cicerones, some of you are in that phase where I was, where you don't really like IPAs, but you order them because your friends do. <laughs> The idea is, like I think all things, that a little bit of education can help pro- provide some perspective and help you make a better decision. So without further ado, uh, I want to ask Harrison to kind of take over the Beer 101 segment and just begin. So this one's dedicated to hops. That's right, yeah. So the kind of plan for the first four episodes here is to focus on the four core ingredients of every beer, which are going to be uh, water, malt, yeast, and then hops, um, and kind of start there, start with the basics, and then kind of build with that um, how they're used today throughout the brewing process, why they're important, innovations around them, things like that. So, yeah, as a casual listener, it'll be interesting as someone who's maybe starting to homebrew or wants to just know more about what's in their glass when they're drinking it. It'll be something you can apply to your your tasting, your beer drinking, your your discussions with your friends and stuff online or in person or whatever you're you're able to do and, and do it. So, yeah, and it starts with starts with hops today, which is an easy one, especially drinking, you know, two IPAs who are using uh, the same hop uh, in two hops, actually, Citra and Mosaic in both these beers both look wildly different and taste wildly different. And kind of just walk us through that a little bit, um, what's maybe going on here, and then uh, more broadly kind of, yeah, why are we even, why are hops even in our beer in the first place? I think a great place to start there is kind of with, uh, if you can, Harrison, like a high-level history of hops. We don't have to cover it maybe on how they were grown, but how, how did hops end up in our beer? How, how were they elected as one of the, the four main ingredients? Sure, yeah, and there's there's plenty of stories around this, and there's a fair amount of kind of parallel evolution happening here where you know something may be going on in France and Germany and Czechoslovakia all at the same time. But unknown to each other, you know, because hops are a wild thing. Hops have grown in the wild forever. They're a flower. Um, and before hops, you were putting things like bay leaves or other herbs in your beer to kind of impart some bitterness, some balance to it. And then, you know, one day in the garden, the hop vine, let's try this. Oh, it's actually doing something that's a little bit different. And and I kind of like that stuff. So it really, you know, uh, once it was discovered that it was also had preservative qualities kind of it was off to the races and hops were the, the one that really kind of is where the needle landed as opposed to bay leaves, which is you've ever accidentally eaten a bay leaf uh, in a chili. I'm sorry for you. Uh, it's hopefully a one-time thing. Um, <laughs> but uh, there's a great, quick aside, there's a great um, thread I saw online recently from a large national burrito chain of people tweeting or adding them that they found a leaf in their burrito and that it, it was a bay leaf, but they were like, is this a real leaf from the, every, every post is the same, like at so-and-so burrito place, you have leaves in my food. What the heck? 
Anyway, so bay leaves. That's a bay leaf, people. It used to be in your beer as well. It's not anymore, thank goodness. Great um, French onion soup, though. Right. Exactly. Perfect. Soups, chilies. Drop one in there. Just don't be the guy that gets it. Although, I've heard that's good luck if it lands in your bowl. Just don't be the guy that uh, also picks up with your spoon. Anywho, that's all in the past. Uh, the well-known story that's you know kind of told every brewer beer fan in every humber book is that uh the, the the when the british army was out there kind of conquering the world and they wanted to get fresh beer to their troops um specifically in in this case in india they overhopped their kind of classic best bitters with hops knowing it would help that beer make the voyage and be drinkable when it got there and thus the India Pale Ale, or IPA, as we all call it these days, was born. So um, that's why it's it's called the India Pale Ale. That's where those beers are being shipped. So it started out as just kind of necessity being the mother of invention there. And, uh, <laughs> and, and you know, those hops were there for a reason, um, apart from taste, just to kind of make that beer and not taste like a bunch of gross syrupy water when it got to the troops. You don't want angry troops out there. Uh, trying to do your your uh, your bidding for you, yeah, right, all that stuff. So, um, so true. Mm-hmm. So that's where it's really started um, to be enter enter into this beer world we all live in today. So, but with 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 anything in history, I, I love your phrasing parallel evolution. There, mm-hmm. There's probably you know twenty different people that have elected to put a hop in their beer around the same right. time. The story that I hear most often is a version of the one that you told: is that the British Army needed beer and the hops were a preservative. Uh, I think I think it's I, I love that story, even though it's very possible you know there could have been some Belgian farmer that elected to do it because it, right. he liked the bitterness. Right, or some German, you know, you know, brewer. I mean, that same thing was happening there at the same time. Hops are wild there, different hops, and let's make this beer last longer in the caves and all that stuff. It was kind of, yeah, very true. So how's that? I mean, today we live in a world where there's an IPA. Let's be honest, there's 25 IPAs on the on the shelf at all times. How did, like, you know, what we were talking earlier when I was eating a hop pellet, um, how, how do hops work for a brewery today? Is it, 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 yes, they're a common ingredient in beer. We've accepted that. But what sort of differences do d- does a modern brewery see in the way that they get their hops and, and use them? Right. So even though, you know, 150 plus years ago, you know, the Britain was doing this and putting a ton of hops, at least more than normal in their beers. Remember, by the time it got to the troops, it kind of just tastes like a best bitter. That was the point is that it would be if you had that beer day one, it'd be gross. But 90 days on a ship and it lands in India, it tastes kind of like it would if you had it at the pub. So the idea of an overhopped or a hoppy or a bitter beer really didn't come uh, to kind of favor until, I mean, like we spoke about last last episode, uh, Sierra Nevada kind of just said we're going to do this uh, in the 1980s and said let's let's make this happen. Let's just kind of make hop forward beers. Let's do something a little bit different. Before that, you had Anchor Brewing. They had an IPA that they released in the states in the 70s. I think about five years before um, Sierra Nevada did. So if you were like in the know and in that community, you were aware that brewers were experimenting with hops in a little bit of a different way and making them come to the forefront of the beer as opposed to just one of equally ingredients, you know, kind of part of the malt and hop profile um, in equal balance. Um, uh, so 
And then fast forward to today, as we kind of covered earlier, there was the whole IPU battle. We're living in the middle of A's craze. So you can utilize hops a ton of different ways based on what you want to do. It's kind of just become another tool in the brewer's bag. And and then hops is just this blanket, right, for all these different species of hops that all do kind of different things. And um uh, and taste taste differently and smell differently and impart different flavors and aromas and um, so that's where kind of the, the experience the studying the drinking of many beers is where how you learn what to pick how to pick it and then um, and really going to these hop farms yourself um, as a brewer and going to the fields and tasting or smelling rather uh, you know freshly picked hops off the vine and making a decision on you know this is a great crop of citra let's we're going to take this this year. That'll be ours, you know, for my brewery and that sort of thing. So, I mean, today, yeah, they're you're using this in all over the beer. You're using the beginning and the bittering process, which you need to add hops early on in the beer to to take that bitterness. You can taste when you eat it and convert those hop oils into something that l- like lasts in a solution that's water. You know, very common oil and water not mix. That phrase we all we all know. Um, with a little bit of boiling though, and then a little bit of conversion and magic. You can turn those alpha acids, which are the specific oils in the hops that carry the bitterness, into iso-alpha acids, which are then water-soluble and will be in that beer uh, when it hits your glass or is in the can. So um, so that's what you're really you're seeing in the boil uh, hops today is just kind of um, using part bitterness, but then also, again, as you add that later in the boil in that brew, you're getting some flavor from it, some aroma, all kinds of things are happening with those hops beyond just um, the bittering kind of preservative quality of them. So uh, we learned a lot on on that on that question, Harrison. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, go ahead and rewind if you like. You brought up a really good point about so hops today, just like most things after the industrial revolution, we've evolved in the way that we can farm and produce these hops for sustainability. Right. The the point that you touched on that that I want to try and evaluate more is that a hop and its bitterness are they come from oils and essentially alpha acids and there's a there's a chemistry involved when you boil sure. those so when we think of hops and boiling most people are probably you know like myself you can nod your head and like yep yep <laughs> like explain to me how does that work when if i'm if i'm brewing a beer based on a recipe and no help right you know right. when i i'm i i boil water you know maybe we'll cover water and mash and everything but how do hops work differently in the boil is there is there sure. a difference yeah, I can break that down, actually. You're right. I kind of rambled on there. So let's go ahead and, and rewind and, and break down a little bit more what I was just droning on about there. Um, so, yes. So let's take your average beer and 60-minute IPA from Dogfish Head is such a great example for this. It's what I usually use when I'm kind of talking about hopping beers uh, with someone for the first time. It's what I used to use when I did tours of the breweries I worked in where um, that beer is called 60-minute IPA because it's a 60-minute long boil, um, and it is a continuously hopped beer for that entire 60 minutes. You're hopping about every five minutes. You're doing what's called a hop charge. You're dropping more hops into that boiling wort, which is um, what you call beer before. It's actually beer before it's been fermented into beer. Um, So 
uh, as that's boiling along, the earlier in that boil you add the beer, the more it's going to impart bitterness to the final product. And that's because it takes time to, again, make those iso-alpha acids uh convert from alpha acids to isoalpha acids about 20 minutes or so is what you need so so you can hop your beer as much as you want based on what your goal is for ibus for bitterness all that stuff from say for that 60 minute boil from zero minutes to 40 minutes and then with 20 minutes left whatever you add at that point is not going to impart bitterness it's going to impart the flavor, those kind of floral notes, the citrus notes, the stone fruit notes you get from a lot of these hops. They're coming at the end of that boil because there's not enough time to take that hop and break it down enough to get those uh, bittering oils into the beer to impart that bitterness. But there is enough time to get the flavor in there, wrap that, um, and have that be part of the final product too. And then what most breweries do now is that even after that boil, so the, the burner is off, 60 minutes are done, you do a whirlpool, which is to just spin that wort around in the kettle uh, and add hops then too, to really just hit some aroma. That is just going to be the first thing you smell from a beer if it hasn't been dry hopped uh, is what was added during the whirlpool. And then, of course, uh, again, the, the, the common theme today is one-upmanship, and we're kind of seeing that play out. Then if you want to take it to the next level of the whirlpool, you dry hop that beer um, yeah. that will also add to the aroma. I'm, I, I, as, as you explain, this is amazing, Harrison. It's like uh, being on an interview with Mr. Wizard or Bill Nye, the science guy or Beatman's <laughs> world. Um, so as you explain that, when you add there, there's, there's a, a chemical process, a molecular process that has to happen. The hops need to be boiled for so long for, for a brewer to extract the bitterness and apply that to the beer. As you get towards the end of your boil, you're adding hops, but you're doing it just for the flavor, which would make someone think, okay, we, we can add a whole bunch of hops really late, which you kind of uh, elaborated on with the, with the late addition hops and the whirlpool. Mm-hmm. And then so dry hopping, I think, is what we see most, and that's the most exciting thing. Can And if everybody's tracking, bitterness comes from hops that are boiled for longer than 20 minutes. What... And, and then whirlpool is what happens after I've already finished my boil. Now I'm mm-hmm. just flavoring the beer with these whirlpool hops. So where does a dry hop come in and how, and, and how can I understand that a little better? Right. And so that's like a whole other world. And logistically in a brewery, <laughs> it's a, right. It's a whole other team of people that'll be doing that. So after the whirlpool is done and you cool that beer down and you transfer it into the fermenter where it's going to live and actually become beer, tra- change from wort to beer, thanks to the yeast that you're going to put in there too. Um, a- uh, after primary fermentation is done, so usually like mm, two to three days after that beer has been in that fermenter, you can start dry hopping it. And dry hopping it is really just what it sounds like. You're going to take a beer that is, uh, that's, that's becoming beer, uh, open up the top of that kettle, throw a bunch of hops in there. Um, and then again, to strictly impart 
flavor or aroma to that beer. No bitterness is going to happen by dropping um, hops into a beer that is no longer being boiled. And at that point, probably around 60 degrees or so, as opposed to the 213 degrees it was when it was boiling along uh, in the kettle. So, um, so that's where dry hopping happens. And there's so many really cool stories about well-known breweries and how they approach this stuff. We've spoken in the past about um, how, you know, light is the enemy to beer, to your cellar, get light out of there. Deschutes Brewing Company takes that to the next level, and they, at one point, I don't know if this is still true, but at one point, they used to make their uh, cellarmen, so the, the men and women who actually worked in the cellar of the brewery, and that's not the basement, that's the room with all the fermenters in it, uh, where we're standing now dry hopping this beer, um, dry hop in the dark. They would shut all the lights off in the brewery, and you would have to use you know, a UV light or whatever, some kind of device to not fall off the forklift you were standing on or whatever, the scissor lift that you're up on, the, the catwalk, uh, and dry hop in the dark. So really good. talk about commitment to half your day realize you're going to have to throw a bunch of hops into essentially nothing <laughs> in the dark. into the nothingness that is this room um with sierra nevada they're well known for using whole cone hops so that means just like you see it online and pictures of hops it looks like a big old flower um they use the, they use that hop um a whole cone hop in their their beers and the reason i draw attention to that is most breweries use a pelletized version of that where you'll when you are at the hop farm they'll take all their hops put it in a, a machine that kind of mixes them all up grinds them up and creates easy to use pellets um, that don't absorb as much water. So you're more efficient when using pellets and they're a little more consistent. So if you had like, you know, alpha acids are a, a guess, basically an, an educated guess. You may have some rhizome of cascade. that's you know, 9% alpha acid next to one that's 7%. And if you pelletize them, you've got an 8% average, alpha acid there, where if you're using, if you are unfortunate to grab a bunch of whole cone hops from a really high alpha acid rhizome and throw that into beer, that may become a more bitter product than one that was homogenized, uh, as it were, which what pelletizing does. Um, and so Sierra Nevada throws all these whole cone hops in there uh, when they do dry hopping. Um, and that being leafy and big and puffy as, as hops are, they can pull in some oxygen too, just kind of trapped in the act of dropping those hops in. So what Sierra Nevada does is they leave the active yeast in the bottom of that beer as they dry hop, which is not very common, knowing that oxygen is something yeast will eat. Because we know, if you, listen to, you, know, if you guys listen to the other podcasts, that oxygen is this, this enemy as well um, to beer. So you want to get it out of it. So they know the yeast will jump up basically into those dry hops, grab the oxygen out of that that may have come in and eliminate it from the final product of the beer. So there's all different ways to do this, tons of thoughts. We'll dive more into dropping in a specific episode about kind of cellaring beers, but that's where a lot of the magic happens now. It's also, you know, where a lot of magic's happened for a while. I mean, Deschutes and Sierra Nevada have been doing this for 20, 30, for Sierra Nevada, 40 plus years. Um, so uh, they've kind of figured it out, but uh, but yeah, it's it's and then of course the breweries like New Anthem who are just dumping 
tons of hops. So that's <laughs> that's one one example. So you dry up that one day, three days after the beer has started fermenting. Double dry hopping means three to four days later, you dry hop again. That same process. You drop hops into this beer. They sit in there for a day or two, and you pull those hops out. Um, before they start imparting kind of weird off flavors. So they really just sit in there to kind of soak in quickly, and then you move them along and, and move that beer along with it. So there's a, yeah, a lot My of gosh. About hops. <laughs> okay, so hops, the flower that grow, that make us beer, um, That that's a whole lot. Uh, but I appreciate that you kind of took us from, I mean, it, 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 if we if we paraphrase this, we went from why hops are in beer to why hops are different today, to what where you apply hops to beer, and how even more modernly we've we've begun dry hopping. It, I, I, it's probably safe to assume that people have tried dry hopping ages ago, but sure. at least right now it's really popular. So the last question I want to ask you in this beer one hundred and one dedicated to hops is selfish, but. What about names, Harrison? I, we talked oh. about Belma. <clears throat> Citrus are really kind of like the name sure. makes me want sure. the beer. You don't have to. Please don't tell me how they come up with the names. But <laughs> um, but what you don't see a lot of is like, you know, like uh, Saz hops doesn't get a lot of credit. Is there a reason? Is it the name? Is there is there like different types or um, what do you know about? Where like hot names? What do you know about those? I'm going to put you on the spot. Sure. Um, so a lot of them are. I mean, Fuggle, for example, is a na- it's a very famous uh, English hop that has uh, European and then American counterparts that are the exact same hop, just grown in different soils, and so kind of change. Um, terroir comes into effect in beer, multiple levels, malt and hops, water, uh, yeast. Anyway, um, so. Fuggle is named after the guy who found that. It was a wild hop, and his last name was Fuggle. I have got one of the most. I've got one of the most. And he found it in someone's garden. It was like, hey, look at that thing. Let's throw that in a beer. I'm going to cultivate it, and make a bunch of it, and make a you know, make my name for myself. And indeed, he did. And you know, good, good that he had a fun name to say. That probably helped out with it. So a lot of our name after people that discover these things. Um, there are a lot of hops that are so hop breeding is like a whole world. If you are a beer fan and and Wanting to maybe find your your niche, hop breeding is a good place to start. There are a fair amount of universities in the United States and, and all over the world that have hop breeding programs. I think at Washington State, although maybe the University of Washington, so forgive me if I'm wrong, um, has a program that breeds hops, and I believe Mosaic came from that. Idaho Seven might have. Um, a lot of a lot of hops we all know today um, are created by just breeding two hops that already existed together. And that's how most hops that, that we know their their parents are these kind of old world hops. East Kent Goldings from and then Fuggle from the UK, um, Hellertau and um, Tetnang from Germany. Uh, the, there's there's so many hops that moved to the, the States, to New Zealand, Australia, and kind of became a different version of themselves. Well, not changing anything more than where they were actually grown, which is to say they changed a lot. Um, but, uh, but the names often come just from people who found them or uh, people who cultivated them first or where they're grown. 
there's a cop called Willamette that's from the Willamette region in, in Oregon, which is famous for wine and famous for lots of hops. Uh, beyond us, the Willamette, which is just a fuggle growing in the United States. Uh, that's all that beer is. Um, so there's a, some marketing to it. You know, we know all the C's, the seven C's, hops like Citra, Centennial, Columbus, Chinook, Cascade, two more. Uh, but there are, uh, you know, so there, right, there's, there's some groupings and natural kind of, you know, marketing approaches to it too. But, uh, but, um, but yeah, oftentimes it's, it's kind of random where they, a lot of them come from different, different influences for sure. Um, but you're right, John, and what we said earlier, kind of Citra sounds exciting. Galaxy is amazing. But Belma, that just sounds like a, a guy you knew that never left the town he grew up in. And uh, what's Belma up to, you know, but maybe it's great. And, you, and I wouldn't judge it by the name. Um, I haven't yet. Uh, Mount Hood is a good example of that. Mount Hood is an American version of just from the Helotar region, German hops. It's the mountains got all the fame in the world. Who cares about a little hop named after it? Uh, but it's a great hop. It's a similar to Cascade. It's actually recommended um, by the uh, by the Yakima Chief um, Hop Group as like a substitute for Cascade hops. You can't have Cascade use Mount Hood. Very similar. So um, that's a whole other element. To I know. I want to ask you about Yakima Chief because it's uh, they're, they're, you, the name kind of draws. Most people would say, oh, I've heard that name once or twice before, but we don't right. have to cover the economics of hops on Beer 101. Right. However, um, those of you listening, the next uh, segment on Beer 101 for episode 14, Harrison, have you decided is it going to be malt or is it going to be yeast? I think we're going to jump, jump right into malt. I think hop and malt, obviously, they, they pair well together. Otherwise, we wouldn't be here. Um, but uh, it's a natural starting point, hops and, and malt, and we'll kind of – it'll help us build the vocabulary, too, as we keep going um, through all this stuff. Yeast is its, is its own monster that may be even a longer conversation than this <laughs> one, but we'll, we'll see when we get there. Um, uh, yeah, for sure. So – uh, for those of you who have any remaining questions about hops, join us on the <laughs> Facebook group or ask Harrison directly. Malts are going to be the focus on Beer 101 for episode 14. And if you have any questions about malts, what are they? What are the different types? Where do they come from? Anything like that, send them in to us uh, as soon as you hear this, and we'll try and make sure we can answer most of those questions. Dave, thanks for the shout-out on the hop questions. Um, Dave yeah. sent us an email and kind of got the ball rolling with this. So that was outstanding. Um, and speaking of learning, we were just recently on a podcast with uh, – it actually focuses on winter sports and skiing. And, mm. you know, when they, when they kind of reached out, Mario and Brian reached out and said, do you guys want to be on our podcast? And it turns out they're amazing fans of craft beer and they were asking questions about untapped and we were talking about beer. It's great. We've got, uh, uh, I've got a quick soundbite, uh, that's going to be coming up here in just a second to give you a, a preview. But if you want more John and Harrison, or if you want a little bit of unscripted John and Harrison, <laughs> that's right. Check out the ski bums podcast. We'll have links in the show notes. Um, otherwise, we'll meet you back here in, in, in just a minute and cover our last Would You Rather uh, for episode 13, and uh, we'll wrap the show with you. Thanks for listening.
always tell people, you know, we work at it all day. And at the end of the day, we go and we all use it. Everybody at on tap. We That's all awesome. see each other checking in at nights. So there must be something about it that like he kind of keeps us coming back. It's, it's fun enough where it's really, it's hard to get bored of. Careful so, if you take like a sick day and you start checking in like. <laughs> oh, yes. Right. Exactly. And then been and... fired for being like, dude, he's checked into like 15 places. He had at least 26 beers. He's yeah. day drinking. He got he's not already. sick. Exactly. Yeah. I think. Always, I think, always yeah. be grinding, right? That's right. <laughs> yeah. That's, I think in our industry, or this right, yeah, so yeah, maybe able to say, yeah, that was all research. Podcast, that was a, I'm working. I'm working sure. on a different. This is a bit of a conference. It's a brewery tour. That's your uh, Here's your my response. expense report. Exactly. Right. exactly. <laughs> I'm expensing all of this, by the way. <laughs> that was a blast. A little taste there. Um, but let's finish up with something that's become a bit of a tra- tradition for us here at Drinking Socially, a would you rather. And today's is a little different, um, which we'll see right now. So I'm going to go ahead and ask you, John, um, would you rather watch your podcasts on YouTube or just listen to your podcasts? What say you? Oh, man. Um, so... For those of you listening, Harrison and I have been. Let me let me preface as I always do. Um, <laughs> for those of you listening, Harrison and I have been recording our podcasts uh, probably halfway through COVID quarantining. It's been difficult to podcast with Harrison in different studios. I'm actually in just the the second bedroom in our house, um, and Harrison as well. So. We realized as we were doing this via technology, we might as well record it and stream it to YouTube. So selfishly, uh, I hope that you check it out. Um, but for me, I i mean, I'll, I'll admit I love YouTube. When I'm listening to a podcast, usually there I want, I want something kind of educational, and I'm going to listen to that podcast as I lay down in bed, turn the lights off, maybe put a, a, a speaker in my ear, even though my, my wife says, I don't know how you sleep with that thing in your ear, but <laughs> you know, I'm going to zone out. I'm going to listen to Neil deGrasse Tyson tell me about right. the multi-layers of the universe, and I'm going to – those yes. are the podcasts I listen to. But when I'm actually engaging, I love a podcast that has – like even the thing that we're doing for Drinking Socially, this isn't – uh, HD DSLR video on a podcast. It's, you can see me and Harrison drink the beer. And I love that when I'm, I like to watch a podcast provided there's a slight amount of entertainment. I mm-hmm. like, I'd rather see it scrolling by on YouTube than just listen to it and kind of zone out. Cause I'm almost, I'm always doing something else as well. And if I see it there, it, it, it commands my attention a little bit more than just listening in, in the background. So uh, for me, it's a pretty easy answer. I'd rather watch my podcast unless it's Neil deGrasse Tyson than than he can lull me to sleep every night forever. <laughs> what about you, Harrison? Yeah, yeah right. I, I I too am familiar with both worlds, and you know, starting my I guess the first you know really one of the first jobs I had had, had out of college was selling beer, and I had a route. It was basically route sales, and I went you know up and down my route and I was in my car most of the day hitting up bars and restaurants and 
and stuff and um and talking about the beers i was uh, we were making and uh that podcast was like my lifeblood like just listening to it in the car that was what kept me going kept me thinking laughing um kept my kind of mind awake throughout the day as i knew i would have to kind of go for sometimes i had a huge territory i had like half of an entire state that i would cover regularly um and i just did an i-95 which is just you know if it's moving it's a miracle um most of the day so podcasts really uh really helped me out so there i have many kind of i'll say fun although again the traffic was kind of this constant as well in the background but fond memories of right just listening to podcasts and 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 really going through a whole podcast a day there were three plus hours long uh like joe rogan's or dan carlin's hardcore history which is a great one too if you're a history buff and want to go deep deep into the granular of how genghis khan did what he did or whatever dan carlin's your guy um but uh so so i i have tons of memories of that but more recently um it's it's more been about kind of the the youtube world where for whatever reason and i i can't quite explain it it's interesting to watch just you know kind of two people talk back and forth i don't know what it is about it but it's uh it's something that kind of it's almost hypnotizing and relaxing to just watch two people go back and forth and um you know in the same room together or we're just virtually like like we are um so that's kind of been what i've been living living in the past couple years that the youtube side of things and i like it and then of course that kind of allows you to a couple of things go down the the lovely youtube rabbit hole of like i'm gonna watch this podcast and then watch this guy who used to work at area 51 talk about what he saw there and then nine hours later it's the morning and i have to go to work but i've learned a lot (laughs) um and then you know so like that's so so that's right in air quotes so that's uh that's fun to just experience that um the the rabbit hole of rabbit holes that is um it is YouTube. I know that I'm just a click away from just kind of disappearing into, uh, if it's not that, it's, you know, learning how to make the perfect sourdough and, and getting a master class from bakers all over the world about uh, about how to make that happen. I mean, it's uh, it's it's kind of amazing, and, and I think we don't realize it, but how overwhelming like like that is. You could, you could if you wanted to at this moment, take tomorrow off work and spend the next 12 hours and become – an expert sailor, but and never have to leave your room, your house. We we wish for the matrix, but the matrix exists. It is YouTube. Nope, right? No plugging into the back of your head. Thank goodness you can keep your hair. But uh, and and in the process, you know, right? Learn how to knit an entire house or whatever you want to do. Like it's all it's it's all out there. So I, I love that too. That um, you know, that if someone asks a question or they have an idea or they say on a podcast like. Oh, you should read this book or listen to this guy's TED talk. I just type that into YouTube and that's queued up and I can kind of, you know, kind of take every conversation or every podcast I listen to to that next level just by typing in a couple letters and 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 diving down into into that. So it's 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 an amazing resource. It's easy to get lost in the K-pop videos and you know people falling down their stairs, which is also a wonderful part of YouTube. You got a but, weird, uh, you, got a, <laughs> you got a weird, weird recommended feed. <laughs> yeah, it's all over the place. But um, but uh, 
but you know, it's yeah, you can do a lot with it. You make you make amazing points. I think the um, the idea that you can learn. I mean, I've been a, a, a hobbyist woodworker outside of a fan of beer, but for years, almost closer to a decade, and. Anytime I have a question about how do I do this, I, I usually it's the second most utilized search oh, yeah. engine in the world is YouTube behind Google. So there's a lot of content there, and this shouldn't be a YouTube sales pitch, but what is kind of <laughs> nice is that for every podcast app that I have, it's rare that I get like a good recommendation for something to watch next. Right. And for YouTube, whether I'm like trying to figure out a question for Dungeons and Dragons or how many hops, <laughs> what's the most hops ever used in a beer or right. you, Lord knows what you could be looking for. YouTube usually has a better answer. It's hard. I'm hopeful that the podcasts analytics get a little bit better where you can say, I want to learn about hops and you'll be able to see a search result that like, on season three, episode 13, Drinking Socially talks specifically about hops for a little while. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I think to that point, I like YouTube more as a search engine and is, is a database for learning. If I've already got my mind made up, I'm usually just li- like if I'm listening while I'm mowing the lawn, yes, listening to a podcast is fine, but I agree with you. Having some video, I love producing the the podcast videos for YouTube. It's really nice to add like label artwork and some check in photos and, and right. just nice little touches um, yeah. to that as well. Yep, agreed, agreed, John. Wow, so we're going to land in the same the same lily pad tonight, the, the YouTube lily pad that, uh, as we all know, just it's just a one lily pad or the the whatever. It just keeps going. There's just more. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever rabbit holes, lily pads. Who's hungry? There's a lot of forestry <laughs> analogies in place as we get towards the end of the show. That's right. But this may be, I think it's almost the first time we've made a strong agreement uh, with is. each other on, on a would you rather. Um, so for that, no one's telling you how to listen to your podcast. If you like yes. listening to your podcast, listen. If you like watching them on YouTube, we try and make that available for you and hopefully keep it entertaining by at least changing our shirts. Um, <laughs> and soon we'll be back in uh, the, our, our actual, the untapped headquarters and maybe doing podcasts together again. That'll but be we'll interesting. Keep, we'll keep the YouTube content coming because it's fun. Yeah, it is. And in the meantime, Show notes will be available at podcast.untap.com. If you have any questions or feedback, please connect with us on Untapped on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram, uh, or find Harrison and I and a bunch of other people that love craft beer directly on our Facebook group, which is facebook.com slash drinking socially, or go to the show notes and click the link because that's a lot easier. Yeah, other than that... We'll see you in two weeks. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.